0: Hello, everyone. This is Belinda Carr, and you're listening to my podcast on building science, products, and technology. As we know, the construction industry is ripe for disruption and automation. It has been reliant on manual labor and outdated tech for far too long, which has led to lagging productivity. Every week, I chat with a company that is exploring ways to tackle these issues. Today, I'm speaking with Etienne Gubler, CEO of SEGA in North America. Thanks for joining us, Etienne.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Hello.
0: <laughs> so for anyone who hasn't heard of SIGA, SIGA is a Swiss company founded in the 1960s, 1966.
1: Correct. I believe.
0: And SIGA manufactures non-toxic tapes and membranes and other adhesives. And I used your product when I made a video on vapor retarders versus vapor barriers, I believe, just a couple of months ago. So... Y'all not only manufacture these, but y'all you consider yourselves as air tightness experts. Y'all are trying, y'all have a very strong focus on zero energy loss buildings. And there is so much that I want to dive into on not just your products, but the company's philosophy and and how y'all are bringing these products from Switzerland to the States. But before we dive into that, let's talk about you, because I am fascinated with your background, with your personality. You are one of the most passionate, driven, and, and just excited people I have ever met. Your energy is so contagious. You it, it's just a joy to be around you. And, and I'm I'm not trying to flatter you or anything. I'm saying this completely truthfully. We recently met during the SIGA tour in Switzerland and um, met your lovely wife as well and you were so kind to you spent five full days showing us around the wonderful headquarters in Lucerne and you organized these wonderful trips to different job sites around Switzerland so first, first of all thank you for organizing all of that and if you could dive in a little bit more into how you got to this role and that it, I don't know I've, I've jumped all over the place in this intro, but let's just talk about you and how you got to this place in Zika.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for all these kind words. Um, Yeah, so so my name is Etienne, I was born and raised in Switzerland, uh, and when I started my career, I actually started in retail. Um, In Europe, we have quite a strong um, apprenticeship program, and I also did an apprenticeship in retail sales. That looked as follows, it was three years, I went to school one to two days, depending on the year, and during the other three to four days, I worked in a retail store selling sport goods. And I did that for uh, about five years. Then I realized, hey, um, I want a little bit more. And uh, luckily we have this path and this program that um, people who do an apprenticeship who become like normal workers, so to say, I can then go to university. So I did a one-year course, uh, which got me ready for university. And then I studied, got a business degree And uh, after I graduated, I found Seago. That was a big coincidence. I had a a friend of mine who um, has a carpenter business and he needed help during summer breaks. And that was great as a student. I needed some extra money. I had time. And so, yeah, uh, I started working uh, as a carpenter help. Uh, It was a great experience and he was a Seago client. And so I got to play with the tape, uh, use the tape um, I realized, hey, they are of good quality. Everyone liked them on the job side. And so when uh, I was looking for jobs and keep in mind at that point, I've never worked in an office. I've always worked like in retail on the floor. I was kind of a little nervous and intimidated uh, of entering the workforce. And so I was very much looking forward to what we call a trainee program. So during my time when I graduated, which was 2013, this was kind of one of the big trends for larger corporations typically to offer training programs. The idea is you can go to different departments, kind of like for for the millennials who didn't know what they want to do. It's kind of great, let's get these talent in, let's shepherd them a little bit around, and eventually you find your calling, right? So Uh, Siga offered a training program. I went for it. Siga does it very differently. It wasn't so much that I experienced all these different regions. Um, They basically said, well, look, uh, we're going to send you abroad and you will get to know our clients because everything starts with the clients. This client focus, sometimes almost obsession is is very core to our DNA, right? Because at the end of the day, the client pays the bill. If we don't generate value for the client, it's not going to buy it or pay for it and uh yeah that that i signed my contract i have another three months time until my start and they didn't tell me where to go Uh, anyways all of a sudden i got a call and say hey it's going to be germany that was two weeks before the start i said all right germany it is so i went there did a year in sales it went well And then I came back to the headquarter, worked in business development and project sales. So I got to experience how it is to um, open up completely new regions where no one has ever been. And I I really learned a lot. Um, What I learned was how to sell a product that improves a home if it's not required by code. Mm -hmm. Um, There is no legal framework that requires people to build more energy efficient in some countries in the world, but they still want to do it. And so I really learned, okay, you have to find other arguments, you have to really uh, cater differently to these clients. And then in 2016, my big step came and I was able to move to the US. Back then I was already dating my now wife, who is American. And uh, so that kind of had, there, therefore I had the interest. It was just a perfect match, right? Um, yeah, then in, in the US two years later, we reorganized the, the organization because we realized that uh, we need to make more local decisions and we really have to let the daughter be free and independent, right? Um, the daughter company. And that was one thing Uh, That took a while to build that trust and the confidence in in letting us pretty much run the business independently. And I'm very happy in 2018, we decided to do that. Um, They uh, appointed me as the CEO. I received control over all the different US departments. And from that day on, we could really operate very, very freely. Um, And this is a common challenge for European companies and the thing is, the more successful you are, the harder it is to learn a new way, because you will always fall back to what you yeah. know, what works. And it's extremely difficult to adjust to a new country and a new culture. So um, yeah, here, here you, I am. That's, yeah. that's kind of my journey.
0: <laughs> that's a wonderful, inspirational journey. But, but like you said, that that freedom really let you take off because you had a different experience than your counterparts in Switzerland. You were talking to clients in the States. You were having conversations that they didn't have. You understood the culture, the mentality over here, and it's very different over here than it is in Switzerland. So you had to operate differently. You had to tweak the company guidelines and all that stuff to work in the States.
1: Yes, I think the first thing we did was we hired a marketing person and uh, historically at our company all marketing comes out of switzerland but we cannot capture the local language there's no way plus um the way marketing is done in the us it's so much more advanced this is the birthplace of marketing right so you really have to step up your game we also realized that the competitors are much faster. They are louder out there, which then brought us also to thinking about, well, how can we even compete? Um, yes, we are a strong player in Europe, but we are a nobody in the US. And in the US, you have these ginormous corporations, 3M, DuPont, You know, I mean, Dow, chemicals. I mean, these are multi-billion dollar businesses which could easily outspend us, um, you know, by tenfold, hundredfold, whatever. So we realized, okay, we cannot compete on traditional marketing channels. So what we've done is we really started to focus much more on influencer marketing, where we figured, hey, um, there it's, it's more of a equal playing field. Um, When I say influencer marketing, I also have to add, it is part of our whole inbound marketing. Our goal is we don't want to disrupt people in their day to day. We want to be found. So if you you would ask me, Etienne, what's your dream position in marketing, it's just one thing. Let me be the person who gets the privilege to answer your question. Because what are you doing if you have a question? You Google it. So whoever gets the privilege to answer you is controlling the conversation, right? And, and so that's kind of where we realized, okay, we have to make sure we do search engine optimization. We have to create content. Content is the currency of the internet.
0: That's and very true. Ooh, th- let's let's put that in a quote. <laughs> let's frame that up. It <laughs> says- that,
1: that, that you can definitely frame. In 2016, <laughs> we were very broke. Our wallet was empty talking about the currency. So we started a blog, we started to do uh, Instagram, some work on YouTube. But then we soon realized, hey, there are people out there, they are much better at creating this type of content. and it makes more sense for us to collaborate with them uh, than to try to be them or, or you know to do, do yeah. it ourselves. And, and so yeah, over the last six years that has been a very successful path for us as an organization. And I also have to say, frankly, for me personally, it's been extremely rewarding because this influencer um, marketing, it's very much about relations. It's, yeah. it's much less business and often just relations and you, know, you help each other out. And uh, I think what unites me with all of these people that I talk to regularly is it's less the business side. It's honestly more kind of a shared vision mm-hmm. to build better, right? no one goes on camera and shows you what's the worst way of doing it. They want to show you the best way, you know, yeah. they, 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 want, they want to challenge themselves. And also once you, you are online, you're peer reviewed, right? Your comment sections make sure everything you say is correct. So it, it it's also a way of us as a community to, to, to get better. So it's, yeah.
0: it's such, everything you're saying is so important because for so many reasons, well, for one Your approach is a very tricky gamble that has paid off for you. And I'm so glad it has paid off because if you go through this route of influencer marketing and you don't have a strong product, you Mm -hmm. don't have something that can back up what your influencers are saying, then it can seem that you've just paid off your influencers Mm -hmm. to say these good things about the product paid off the people in the comments too. But once people start using it, they'll realize what a letdown the product is. But you had a really strong product to back it up. So and the people who you reached out to understood the value of that product. And the people in the comments probably already tested Siga products, and they were also backing it up. Mm -hmm. So it all goes back to yeah, the influencer marketing was excellent idea, really good for you. And you were probably in the forefront because you had to be innovative in the way you marketed this in the States. Because you, like you said, you were up against all these big dogs. How on earth were you going to get the Sega name out there? Because they had a far bigger marketing budget than you did. So you were very creative and you took a gamble and it paid off. But the pro- the good product helped a lot. Yeah.
1: 100% i mean the product and the story i mean everything is made in switzerland uh, we we manufacture it as sustainable as as humanly possible um we, we don't use any toxic products back back in the 70s there was a direction that that we chose or that our owners choose as as kind of a positioning um because in europe The airtightness layer is typically on the interior of the building. Okay. Whereas in the US, it's often also on the outside of the building. Sometimes you have more than one airtightness layer, which is no problem as long as your uh, permeability um, matches the climate you're in. But um, that being said, because it was everything interior, the air sealing is done on the interior, whatever products you introduce into this air-sealed interior environment becomes very, very important. You don't want to Kind of enclose yourself with toxic materials, right? So that really also pushed that direction, and and just was a good marriage between where they wanted to go and what the market wanted.
0: So we've talked about the differences in marketing and and mm-hmm. emphasis on energy efficiency in this in in Switzerland versus in the U.S. But what are the differences have you seen in the construction market in mm-hmm. the states that that are just Vastly different compared to Switzerland.
1: So I would just say, generally speaking, Switzerland is a very small country with a relatively similar climate. Uh, I mean, we have some warm region, but generally speaking, we don't have like seven different. different climate zones. zones. Yeah. Right. Right. So that means that you can uh, build more, um, more, more similar. So the construction that I'm more used to from Europe is. Um, solid wall construction where you use brick walls. So um, that's kind of more what, what I was accustomed to. In Switzerland, wood construction is still a niche. Um, they don't dominate that market. Don't quote me on this, maybe 15%, something like that, maybe even less. It's, it's wood construction, the rest is, is, is still built the traditional way. Now, the reason why the traditional way is still liked and successful has to do with our mild climate. So typically speaking, we have cold nights. We have warm days. So if you build with, with brick or with stone, right, your, the advantage is you have thermal mass, which really kind of coasts you through the temperature kind of think about this if you're going to a church in summer it's always cold right so this is the same idea right it, it, it keeps the building cold during the day and at night it keeps it warm releases, right so it kind of yeah. slowly releases it. it slowly heats up slowly cools down so that worked pretty well it's changing now climate is changing and so um now more and more you hear the calls for ac and and, and other systems to help um but historically we haven't done that we only uh, rely on natural ventilation that's typically how you manage your house open your windows in the morning open your windows uh, um, in the evening just to air out the house that's what I grew up doing every every morning
0: (laughs) yeah we stayed in Basel and Geneva and Interlaken I don't think we had a fan in any of those hotel rooms and some of those places were a little bit intolerable because it was around 95 degrees to 100 degrees during oh, the day really? It and <laughs> yeah and Geneva especially that was pretty it was a little bit brutal but yeah. but it but it still it wasn't it wasn't like the Texas heat it was mm-hmm. it was still bearable like you said the it, the temperature dropped at nights and it was you were still able to sleep even though you didn't have air conditioning
1: Well, I can tell you now I'm pretty Americanized from an American perspective, especially on this trip. uh, We were there during the same time period. I felt it was just hot. I was really hoping for an AC somewhere. But that's an interesting difference, by the way. If you're talking about AC or air supply in general, um, in my experience, in Switzerland, a good air conditioning system is quiet, so you can't hear it. And most importantly, you can't feel it, okay? So you just want this to be like a smooth, it's just gonna happen in the background. In America, a good system blows at you. It's that breeze that everyone is like, it's kind of, it's funny, you know, when I used to get into stores, it almost blew me out of the door because you have this like (laughs) uh, breeze coming at you, right? And, uh, and now I, I kind of like that I'm looking for that breeze. So so anyways, that's kind of a funny it, difference. You're you.
0: absolutely right. It's a psychological <laughs> thing because once you don't feel that your body immediately thinks that the room is warmer than it actually mm-hmm. is. Like if, even if you have a fan right in front of you and you feel that breeze, it, it just, your, your, your brain tricks you into thinking that it's cooler. It's, <laughs> and you get spoiled to that feeling, like you said.
1: <laughs> you get used to that. Um, yeah, and so I think um, definitely something that I have not seen, and that's a big difference. when we build with wood in Switzerland, it's typically um, prefabricated. So you have prefabricated walls, panelized walls, or you have even modular construction where you know you have a square box and sometimes it's you have furnitures inside. it can go to that degree. Um, in the US, we have much more stick build on site. I have never seen that. This is for me an American thing, right? Which is kind of funny. Um, I also think a big difference is uh, just generally speaking our construction budgets. Um, Whereas in the US, if you look at the average home price which is somewhere between 250 to 300,000 on a national average, well, you don't get so much home for that right and and in many places you don't even get anything for that like Mm -hmm. anyways it's an average so so i think that's extremely important when we compare these different countries right in in switzerland if you want to buy a house um you're gonna it starts at a million yeah that's where it starts well we also have to say the big difference is in switzerland the land is more expensive than the house whereas in the us that's always or uh, often the other way around, around right so um, that is definitely also something where, where I have seen a, a difference. Right? So
0: you talked about a lot of on-site construction mm-hmm. versus off-site construction mm-hmm. in the States. Did you have to go back to the SEGA headquarters and your your companions back there, your colleagues, and tell them that certain products had to be manipulated so that it would be more on-site friendly?
1: Um, it's honestly the other way around. Um, <laughs> I, I think, generally speaking, we are pr- very on-site friendly because when we develop products, we often focus on uh, the on-site installer, on-site application. So, so that that is
0: that worked out of, too.
1: That that's kind of a given. But things are changing. I think I came more back uh, to ask for adaptation for factories people who wanna buy jumbo rolls or they, they wanna buy certain customized products that help them the way they set up their panels in the field. These have been, these calls have been a little bit more frequent. Um, we especially get this as well with like membranes where people want 10 foot membranes or more. Um, if you think about such a factory line, you just wanna roll it once over, you don't want overlaps uh, which of course makes a lot of sense. Um,
0: and there isn't a demand for those large rolls in Switzerland. Th-
1: there is. There is. There is. is, okay. there is. Um, we just uh, not all of our products are, I would say, um, 100% factory ready yet. I, okay. You know, of course, there is always a workaround, but we have room to improve, and it's also something that's that's changing um, in Europe. As I said, the, the wooden um, manufacturers are more advanced. Yeah. Generally speaking. Uh, but, um, you know, they also use traditional products. So yeah, it's, it's not kind of a black and white situation. It's a a lot of companies are at different stages in their journey.
0: So you've been in the States for six to seven years now. Mm -hmm. How have you seen the construction industry evolve? You you talked about a lot more calls about offsite construction. Mm -hmm. There's probably a lot more awareness about energy efficiency, zero energy homes, um, is there less education that you need to impart onto clients and customers nowadays than you did seven years ago? Or is it still a battle?
1: Oh, I would say it's still a big battle, but let me tell you a little bit about change. So a few things happened during my six years here. Um, when I first started, Passive House was still quite a niche, 2015, 16. Passive House wasn't that big of a topic. Um, it grew tremendously as a as, as building system across the country. There were always pockets, like New York was a strong pocket, Vancouver in Canada was a pocket, and those became even stronger. Now we even see passive in the building codes in Massachusetts, where it is an, a path, and I believe in New York as well. So, so that really has advanced on, on the one hand. Um, when, President Donald Trump came in power and he um, withdrew from the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, I was a little bit worried at first. I wasn't sure, okay, where are we going? What was really nice is even though the federal government didn't pay so much attention on cli- to climate change, the states... Uh, didn't follow suit. Um, California, other states, they kind of almost doubled down. They were like, you know what, we don't really care. Um, We're just going to continue with our agenda. Now that we know the, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency has been defunded and all these things that we heard, right, they really stepped up the game. So um, even during this period, maybe nationally, we didn't make as much progress on that topic, but on, on a state, state level, level, it continued, maybe even, even stronger, or there was more a sense of urgency, because, because people realized, okay, I can't wait for the federal government to come in and save me, you know, like, no, we have to do it right now, and that's also what I've learned. These decisions, how do you change the building industry? want jurisdiction at the time you have to go to the local level you have to go to the level where the decisions are made that can be my local city council that will influence or or a state senator or whoever however your state is organized and um if you're lucky your state has a uniform building code yeah then you have at least one one department to deal with and then what's what's kind of a little bit sad in the u.s we have quite there is there, there is an, a national uh, energy standard out there, but every place can decide to what degree they want to implement it. right? And as, if you have a strong union of builders who maybe don't want a certain change because it could affect costs or there are question marks or whatever their reasons are, they can reject certain things now you mentioned you're an air tightness company air tightness is measured in air exchanges per hour so you look at the building how much air is in there and you pressurize it at 50 pascal and then you see how many times is that air volume leaking through my envelope okay so most commonly air exchange three so three times your interior volume can exchange in and in know an hour. that's kind of like The standard nowadays but every state can has adopted different numbers right now if you look out there some are at four others are at five some are still at seven or haven't regulated it some are at three and and some are even challenging you further just to give you kind of the benchmark passive house 0.6 air exchanges so that's it's absolutely doable you won't achieve it if you don't change anything i also have to say that but it's doable and you can do it with the materials that are are available today on the market you need you need to pay more attention to air sealing and to details of course but it's doable just to give you kind of like the framework now when i started i remember new jersey and i don't know if it's i don't think it's the case anymore they had a visual inspection for air tightness
0: a visual inspection. Visual
1: inspection. So, yeah. So basically someone would look around and see if it's airtight, which is, yeah, now if you think about the whole blower door, test, it's, it's not very scientific, a visual inspection. And then I also learned having a requirement doesn't mean anything unless it's enforced. It's like a speed sign. Well, you can only go 30. If there is never a speed control, it's just a sign, right? Yeah. So that is important that... Um, the building code cares enough about energy efficiency that if you have to model it or you have to show your numbers afterwards, that there is kind of a penalty if you don't, and that can mean you can't occupy it, right? It's just something that you are not going to just wave it and be like, whatever, it's fine. Right. So that you really stick with that. Um
0: yeah. So while you are tackling all this influencer marketing and, and, in, in, in education of the general public and of clients and all that about the importance of air titles, you also have are also juggling this other route of law of changing laws, changing building codes, both at the federal, state, and local level. Mm-hmm. Do you have separate teams that tackle these two different issues? Is there a lot of intermingling going on? For example, do you approach certain custom home builders that that only build high performance homes and then hope that they have a sort of influence in local government levels and you can show their homes as an example of buildings that that work well
1: well that's definitely something that's really important that you always have case studies and yes. kind of a, a local reference that's kind of what I received that was one of the feedbacks when you go to politician and you show them what new york did i mean it's great but then you know, they're not New York, and we know that too. So that is really important. Answering your question, no, we do not have separate teams. I would say the core, the core focus is, of course, making sure our clients are well taken care of. There are two ways how you get people to, fo- to kind of uh, do what's right. Okay, so you can either inspire them or you can force them. Okay. You force them with, with the law, with a building code, and you can inspire them by you know make sure they are educated and understand what are the benefits for them today for their business. And most important, let's not forget, someone's going to live in that building. Yeah. The person who moves in will feel it their whole life, right? And not many people build more than one home. So it matters. Yeah. So I think that's also where sometimes in this whole conversation, let's put... the the client first let's put the person who moves in first let's put their comfort their health their well-being first and
0: that's that's so important because you can you can approach builders and try to teach them about the importance of airtightness and air sealing but unfortunately their bottom line is usually cost Mm -hmm. so they would want to use your product but it might be too expensive or they want to cut through value engineering and all that stuff it might might drop off their priority list. But if you educate the client on the importance of air sealing, internal comfort, and then no VOCs in their home and all that stuff, they might demand that your products be used in their custom homes. Right.
1: 100%. And we get these calls. I mean, we have, we've dealt with a number of home owners themselves sometimes they self-perform they're very educated very interested they've done the research they they land with us and, and and we support them during their projects it's, it's a ve- it's time consuming but very rewarding because you really make that difference right then and there yeah absolutely i mean I think we just have to and and here's here's kind of where the the trip to Switzerland comes in and or just let's just talk about traveling in general I find it really really important in order to challenge your narrative you have to leave your comfort zone okay there is no growth unless you leave your comfort zone otherwise you're
0: just living in your bubble hearing exactly when you want what you want to hear and building the same way for the rest of your life
1: Exactly. And you know, until you slept in a house that's just so much more quiet, where you can really focus all the sudden, or you just you just feel good. You can't even explain it. You maybe you start dreaming it again or not, or you don't cough or or whatever it is. Or let's make it simple. I lived in Chicago, true story. Okay. And we had like a patio door to our balcony. And I'm not kidding you, there was a two-inch gap that was just open. And it was Chicago winters, it was blowing in like crazy cold. And so I, I asked the landlord, it's okay. Hey, you know, do you guys plan on like changing the that door or sealing it? And no, we don't. No, no, whatever, you know, like kind of nothing happened. Well, I, I did seal it later. I just taped it. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, landlord, if you're listening, the tape residue, it was me, sorry. Um, but but anyways, just just imagine. I mean, in, in Europe or in Switzerland, if you show a renter a building and there is this big gap to an outside door, it's just not happening, you know, you wouldn't find that.
0: And um, is that because the customer is more educated on things like that in Switzerland?
1: I think we are used to a higher standard. Yeah, I think we are used to higher standard. The building code is, is, is much more evolved. Um, we, we generally have a higher building standard. So that that wouldn't even that would be would not even be built in the first place anymore. And like right? you said,
0: but those the experience, once you're in a home that's or a right. building that's built really well, that's sealed really well, like all the projects that we visited in Switzerland, like apartment buildings felt so solid, felt so quiet. In the States, if you go live in an apartment building, you can hear the people on your left, on your right, Mm. above, below you. You can hear the wind coming in through your windows. It's just such an uncomfortable feeling. And when you go and see and experience something better, you're like, why aren't we doing it that way? It Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense to be building the way we are building over here.
1: Yeah, so I think it has a lot to do with just consumer education. I mean, another example is you pay for every square foot of your home. Why do you accept not using all of it? What do I mean? Well, good luck sitting in a cold area where I live in Minnesota, it's freezing here. Don't go near a window right? It's not going to be comfortable, you're not going to feel well right there. Or you wouldn't set up your kids play area there because it's just not that's not a good space. Like, why do we accept bad spaces in our homes, right? Yeah. Shouldn't every room just be livable and comfortable, right? So, so, so for me, it, it, it was the traveling to see these different buildings, ex- staying in different areas, just experience it, And, and sometimes I'm shocked. I mean, I've been, I've been in very nice hotels in Boston, downtown, and you have a single glazed window. And I'm like, guys, you must be kidding me. Like, how, how do you not care? How do you, I mean, it's busy, it's urban, I get it, but you can put in a window. It will cost probably as much as two or three nights here and it will just be perfect, right? (laughs) But anyways, so for me, this is what happens to me if I travel now. yeah, but then I also want to say, of course, there is kind of the perfect way and the great way to do it. Um, but I think in life, you also have to sometimes realize, okay, um, not everyone is in a position and you know, we have to find ways around. And I think when it comes to homeowners, what's crucial in my opinion is that we start to talk a little bit more about what they don't see because yes. what they don't see, they can't change so easily. right? Um, you can always switch out a countertop or, or whatever it's easier to do than, okay, let's uh, add insulation to my wall or let's switch out my insulation or, you know, let's air seal or let's put in better windows. Um, Yeah. I
0: think kind of like, like it's to me, it's what I, what I say in all my videos, it's like, it's the stuff doesn't matter. The, the, your couch that you replace every, th- every three years, your countertops, the tile in your bathroom, that doesn't matter. The bones of your home mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. The air that you breathe because of the materials you use, that matters. And it's such a shame to watch all these TV shows where they only emphasize the stuff. Mm-hmm. And I hope that the influences that you you have reached out to, and they we start talking more about the bones, the structure, the performance of things. Those aren't sexy topics. It's the the pattern of your couch and the the paint on your walls. Those are sexy topics. But let's talk more about the unsexy topics mm-hmm. because that's really ha- where the worth of a home should lie, not mm-hmm. on your countertops. I mean.
1: Everything you buy in your life, right? It can be, it can be, I mean, it can be this headphone. It doesn't matter what it is, okay? You receive a manual with it, clear instructions on what to do. When I bought my house, there was nothing. There was nothing. There's no manual. There's no, no. Oh my gosh, even, uh,
0: This is what I've said in my previous videos. Why don't homes come with the manual? Oh my, this, I have said this. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, so I agree. We need home manuals. Exactly. It, it's not, and, and also perform. Think about a car. The only thing we talk about is specs, right? Oh, how, how many PS does it have, and, you know, whatever. Then that engine is that big, and that block, and that transmission, whatever. I'm not that much of a car guy, you can <laughs> tell, but, you, you know, but why don't we do this for homes? You know, why, why, why?
0: Exactly but
1: like how Ill- do we find out what our energy bills and loss and all, all of that is once we live in it? It's kind of crazy. And I no, there have been. There are now um, requirements and also from Europe where they basically rate the house. You've probably seen on cars, they sometimes have like an energy class sticker, A, B, C, D. Hmm. And um, I think they're doing this now to homes when oh, you so. want to sell your home. You actually have to provide that, kind of disclose the information, right? Um yeah. But then, you know, you need to be in a, in a buyer's market in order for that to matter. Um, if you're in a seller's market, at least that's what I, we have experienced here. Um, inspections are waived, you know, yes. everything gets waived. Otherwise, and you, ha- you have to put in a price over offering and all of that. It's like, oh, well, yeah, now people, because the, the market situation is so tough, they are putting themselves in very very bad situations right risky situations Um, where they're buying
0: things that are homes that are failing and they have no choice they just buy it because that's the only option on the market right right now yeah
1: yeah there are only that many homes for 300,000 you know to put the national number out there, there there aren't that many and sometimes you just go with what you can afford and yeah it, i would say for most for most people no home a uh, home is better than no home no, yeah. but not not if it's toxic exactly right? I, I think that's really something There, there we have to draw the line and say look you might be better off not moving into this place because it's gonna make you sick or it's it's just gonna drain your resources <laughs> for a long long time right
0: Oh, we've gone down a pretty dark path, but yes. <laughs> let's let's bring it back to something let's positive. Back. Let's bring it back. So, again, I just want to thank you for inviting us to Switzerland and mm-hmm. seeing how much better we can build. And and I think things are changing in the states. I like just I haven't been in the construction media industry for very long, maybe three to four years or so, but I've seen a definite change in the language and language being used and the importance on energy. Um, energy efficiency of homes especially over the last two years with everyone working from home people noticing Mm -hmm. people being aware of carbon dioxide levels in their home when they're cooped up in there like 24 24 7 Um, people are starting to talk about this and I hope this just keeps continuing to improve we continue having these conversations and of course the 2030 goals are probably going to help SIGA um, become more and more popular in the States. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, they they do help. Um, It does help us if we have regulations that are requiring more energy efficient homes. Before, when you mentioned 2030, my first reaction on the inside was, oh, that's going to be really difficult. And and, and I think it will be. Um, America has shown a crazy talent to catch up fast. But catching up fast is often more expensive than (laughs) making sure you don't get to this point. And I think um, in order for us, just 2030, or if we even go a little bit further, 2050, some of our climate goals that we have, um, we really have to step up our game today. I mean, drive through your neighborhood and just look how much PV is on the roof, how many people have actually solar and do it, and how many new homes are built. Um, I think what we have to understand is we unfortunately will no longer be able to build ourselves out of this crisis yeah. with just new buildings. So that's and that's where it becomes very very tricky because now we have to also I mean that we have more building that already exist than yes. that are new built, right? And also and those often emit even more. The um,
0: yeah, unhealthier. Yes, absolutely. And
1: often are unhealthy. Um, and so that's kind of where I think that the conversation will focus more on those over the next, I would say, 10 years, looking forward, where we really have to look at how can we remodel, how can we remodel um, effectively, what are financing options, maybe even through the state or, or state. Uh, what sort
0: of rebates? The This goes back to what you were saying earlier, where you said we can either force it mm-hmm. or... Make it and in, like Inspire excite it. people, right? Yeah. So it it's a balance. It's never one yeah. or the other. Yeah. When it comes to the twenty thirty goals, eventually we're going to have to force those kind of things. So even with remodels and stuff, if if you have to meet certain guidelines during your remodel, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you are tearing out your walls, rebuilding those walls require a certain level of like an R value in the wall like replace the insulation you want, make it better air sealed and all that stuff. Instead of just put up drywall, replace the drywall, put it back up and not change the performance of your home, just change the paint. It is not a bad thing if we enforce those kind of um, energy regulations. I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah totally. anyway.
1: <laughs> One more trend that I didn't mention that I've seen, and this is something that really, really excites me. It's the growth of the mass timber industry. Um, it re- I mean, we had waves of, of when they said, oh now it's coming now it's coming, but I really believe now it's coming. And some people even said wood is the, the new glass, right. I mean, if you look in architecture, there was this kind of age of glass, glass towers, that was the best thing you could, you know, the fanciest thing you can do. And now it's really shifting towards building with wood because, And it's funny because we built with wood a long time ago, um, but the the beauty of wood is it it, um, can store carbon, so it's kind of like a carbon vault, and it's it's a very um, environmentally friendly building material if, of course, forested sustainably. Um, But that being said, I'm really excited about what's possible these days. You're talking about wood skyscrapers. Um, we had a big building code change that you can now build up to 18 stories uh, high of of, of wood buildings, mass timber buildings. And I'm 100% sure that's not the limit yet. There is more to come. And we've seen a big adaptation by a lot of the Silicon Valley companies. Um, Also, if you go into these offices, it's an amazing atmosphere. It's just a warm material. It's just feels good and it, it, it has really an aura around and more and more people buying into that and that excites me tremendously it's not a cheap way to build but i think a very sustainable way of of building and i'm really looking forward for more plans to go online which they, they are going online and there is a big expansion in in this field and also the technology is evolving yeah. um It's just the
0: next stage uh, of engineered wood. I I completely agree. We visited some engineered uh, mass timber, engineered wood buildings in Switzerland. And mm -hmm. like you said, the the atmosphere in there is just, it's warmer than if you were in a concrete building, Mm -hmm. a pure concrete building. But what's funny is that whenever I talk about the importance of mass timber on my channel, Mm -hmm. everyone in the comments say, do not cut down trees. Like there Mm -hmm. is a huge, huge, um, <laughs> the, a shift that needs to occur mm-hmm. because people think cutting down trees equals deforestation there 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 isn't enough education on the on sustainable forest management on mm-hmm. how the on like you said the the carbon capture of, of timber trees because for so long like from the 90s up to now we've been told of all these um Deforestation mass deforestation that's going on in uh, South America and some areas in America, too, and even in, in Scandinavia, but it's changed and the narrative hasn't changed and suddenly we've we have told the public from we have gone like it's just switched from don't cut down trees to oh mass timber is good, so the public as as like I've perceived it, the public are confused right mm-hmm. now because they were told one thing and now they're told the other thing and they still think deforestation mass timber equals deforestation. So I agree with you, mass timber has an enormous amount of potential. It's just the public perception of it has hasn't caught up to it yet.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a super valid point, and and also fair concern, right? I mean, on the one hand, yeah, there is the message: plant more trees, don't cut your trees. And on the other hand, we're saying, hey, let's build with trees, right? I think what the 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 question is going to be: which tree should be cut and which will not, right? And 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 how often? But I, I just generally speaking, it's it's a resource that can grow again. Absolutely. Right? And I think that's what we need to focus on. The technology is evolving that we can use smaller trees. We don't have to cut down the old growth uh, anymore. We have engineered wood where we can, you know, glue stuff together and make actually even stronger products than normal sawed uh, lumber. Mm-hmm. So that's really changing. And yeah, I think um, yeah. I, definitely be mindful which tree you cut and and only use uh, how you
0: sourced it where you source it really
1: focus on how it's sourced make sure it gets that label and interestingly, a lot of the CLT manufacturers also own um, forest, which that was something interesting and sometimes um, uh, these were former uh, mills that that cut uh, timber, and that's just a new business model now. You know, they basically want to have more value creation in house. Create, I mean, it's the same product. They 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 plant trees, chop them down, and then you know they they sell them to in whatever shape and form that the market wants to buy, right? And that's really something that that I think have has caught up, and we just need good businesses that have a, a long term perspective because in theory. If you do sustainable business, you will also protect the environment. Once again, in theory, in theory. It does not always happen. But that's where that's, the
0: enforcement has to come in. That's kind of where yeah, the
1: enfor- yeah exactly, where the enforcement need, need, need to come in. Yeah.
0: Well, again, thank you, Etienne. That was a wonderful conversation, and I'm looking forward to SIGA products not just being used on custom high-end homes, but and everywhere in the suburbs too. Like I, it would be wonderful to see that because then it means that people value airtightness. They understand the importance of it. They understand the importance of energy efficient homes and reduction on reliance on the, the national grid and the state grid. But I'm looking forward to that day and I'm sure it's going to come soon.
1: Thank you very much, belinda I really appreciate your time.
0: Thank you. Okay, talk to you soon, Etienne.